Indeed, he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. I'd like to welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us through, uh, through the online. Uh, should you all stand? And uh, let's receive the word from uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Do we have a pa- passage here? Okay. Uh, should we read this together? Let's, let's read this together. Let's, let's begin. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to Lilith's festival, new moon celebration or Sabbath day. These are the shadow of the things that we were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in the false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person who goes into the great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with the idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its alignment and the soul. Grew as God caused it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit this rule? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and their forced humility and their harsh treatments of the body but they lack the ten essential Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I titled today's message as, as uh, the life of living in grace, life of living in grace. Uh, when my son Timothy was a kid, he often asked me this question, Dad, what are we going to talk about uh, this Sunday? I guess he was interested in my sermon. And uh, I remember one particular Sunday, he asked me the same question. And I remember I I told him, you know, son, I think I want to talk about grace this Sunday. And I remember he he told me, grace again? (laughs) And yes, grace again. Uh, I guess I've been talking about grace a lot. And uh, whenever I talk about grace, whenever I prepare a message about God's grace and talk about grace, I got such a joy because Grace gives me such a joy. And I'm sure when the Colossians, the Church of Colossians, they, when they heard this Evangelion, this good gospel, this great, you know, God's amazing grace, I'm sure they had such a joy. You know, when they heard the message, they had such a joy. But there also was a group, enemy, group called Judaizers. They were the one who came into church and start to teach for teaching. They will say, grace is not good enough. You, in order for you to be saved, you need to have these kind of things. And they emphasize about the regulation and rituals and rules. They try to take away joy from the church. Because of the reason uh, Paul had to write the Colossian, book of Colossian, letter of Colossian, to clear that up. So I want to talk about what does it mean to live in God's grace? It's going to be a very brief message. I'm going to, I usually do three points, right? But today I'm going to do two points. But first point is a little bit longer than, uh, I guess, usual point. But number one, uh, it is 
the life of trusting Jesus, not emphasizing works. That's what grace means. Living in grace means trusting uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, he took the regulations and rules with him on the cross, right? Amen? Yeah, uh, let's read the passage again. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or regard to religious festivals and human celebration or Sabbath day. These are the shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Jesus. When you look at the book of Leviticus, there are rules and regulations regarding what to eat, what to not eat, you know, what to drink, what not to drink. So these Judaizers insist that you have to, uh, you have to uh, abstain from, avoid this kind of certain food. But think about this church of Colossae. You know, these guys were Gentiles. They didn't really care about what they eat. But these guys were, hey, you're not supposed to eat those things. Then I kosher your food, you know, sort of a deal like that. Imagine, uh, because of religion, because of what you believe, you have to give up what you eat, like kimchi jjigae uh, with spam in it. Oh my, can you, can you imagine that? No dejigogi, oh my goodness. No galbitang. I mean, that's like taking away joy, right? Uh, isn't it? All of a sudden, eating food matter became, you know, like a burden to them. So Paul had to, you know, like clear that out. What did Jesus talk about regarding what we eat? Jesus says in uh, Mark chapter 7, 18 and 19, Are you so dull? He asked, Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart but into his stomach. And then out of his body in saying, This Jesus declared all foods clean. I mean, because he, I mean, Jesus, you know, I'm glad you say that, right? <laughs> we don't have to worry about what we eat. Jesus set us free from eating matter. You know, legalism tried to take away joy from us. That's not living in God's grace. But living in God's grace means we have true freedom. Isn't that awesome? I mean, also these guys were emphasizing religious festivals. Uh, like, for example, like Passover, Feast of Week, Feast of Pentecost, Feast of Trumpet, Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacle. I mean, it's hard to even name them, right? But they say, you got to keep these festivals. Why did God give Israelites this festival? Why? What was the reason? So they can remember what God has done in their lives, right? So they can remember grace of God and they can worship God. But they were just, you know, just focus on keeping the rule, the sake of keeping the regulation. They're just missing the point. They, 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 you know, they're losing, they, they, they lost the true meaning of keeping the festival. And this will lead you to think for salvation matter, you know what, there's God's part and my part. For example, uh, this can be logical thinking for many of us. I mean, <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm back for those of you guys. <laughs> when you look at the book of Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they got captured in prison. 
At night, they praise God. I mean, these guys were full of the Holy Spirit, full of, and they, they praise God. And I guess God responded to their praise by sending the earthquake. When earthquake hit, chains were broken, doors opened. Prisoner, the prison guard thought the prisoner were, they, they you know, left the prison cell. Their tradition, if prisoner, prison guard lose their, lost their uh, prisoner, it is their fault. So he tried to commit suicide. Prison guard tried to suicide. Then Paul stopped him. Stop, don't harm yourself. We're here. And when he saw, witnessed all these things happening, you know, this prison guard asked Paul and Silas this question, what should I do to be saved? That is our, that's how we think. In order for us to gain something, we have to do something. Same principle applies to our salvation matter too. That's how we think. But what Nimble Paul said, I think we have here, right? They reply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. You don't have to do anything. Simply you have to trust Jesus. Simply believe Jesus Christ. Believe means trusting God, not doing deeds, right? We have to understand, for our salvation, Jesus finished the, all the requirements on the cross. Jesus paid pay them all. Jesus did it all. The first John chapter 2, 2 says, He is atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the atoning sacrifice. He became the reconciliation between sinful humankind and holy God was possible through this atoning sacrifice. Right? He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for our Ours, but also for sins of the whole world. Whole world. If we try to add more list on what Christ has done, that means, you know what, that is denying what Christ has done on the, on the cross for us. We are denying, you know what, I, I don't think that cross sac on, on, atoning sacrifice is enough. That's how we say it. One day, a young pastor uh, was preparing message sermon on his in his office, and Jesus appeared to him outside of the window. When he saw Jesus, I mean, it was the first time he experienced that. So he didn't know what to do, so he texted his elderly, experienced pastor, "Pastor, you're not gonna believe this. Jesus is here outside of the window. He's looking at me. What should I do?" This experienced pastor. He texts him back, pretend you're working hard. Look busy, you know. <laughs> Do you think Jesus, God, Jesus will be impressed by our, you know, works, our business? No, not at all. Bible teaches there are two righteousnesses. One is our righteousness, and the other one is God's righteousness. Let's look at what Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. That's our righteousness. 
Romans chapter 10. For I can testify about them that they are jealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. By believing Jesus Christ, you and I become righteous. Then you may ask, then what is my part? What is my part? Didn't I choose God? Didn't I choose Jesus? Of course you did. But before you choose Jesus, he chose you. Right? Didn't I receive Jesus Christ? Of course you did receive Jesus Christ. But before you received Jesus Christ, he received you. Let me try to explain uh, with this phone. I got iPhone. And this phone, what happened? Fell. I caught it, right? This phone fell. What did this phone do for her to fall? I'll show it again. What did he do? Nothing, right? It happened because of the law of gravity, right? Look at this passage here, John 6, 44. One who can come to me unless, uh, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and her, and I will raise him and her up the last day. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, we cannot near, go near to him, right? When you look at the chapter, uh, John chapter 3, Jesus says, say, uh, say to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Jesus compare our salvation with new birth. Let me ask you, what did you do for you to have life, you to be born? What did you do just then? Nothing, no, you didn't do anything. Maybe your parents were busy, right? To making you, right, to be here. But you didn't do anything, right? Nothing. Jesus said to Nicodemus, work of the Holy Spirit, this is the work of the Holy Spirit, is like a wind, like blowing wind. Let's say you went to Santa Monica. This is so hot, right? Humid. So you went to Santa Monica Pier. And all of a sudden, wind just, you know, just strike on your, on your cheek. What did you do to get those wind? What did you do? Nothing. But you were there at the ocean, right? At the pier. You were at the right place by God's grace of God. If we try to add works, the grace is no longer grace. Let's not try to add works on what Christ has done for us. This is so important matter. Then you might think, then, Pastor Ken, do you mean that I can live whatever I want to live? That's impossible. If the Spirit of God is in you, that's impossible. That's my second point. It is life of willingly obey God for we have received so much love from Him. Living in God's grace means you want to obey God's command, not because you have to, but because you love Him so much. Because you have the Spirit in you. They will actually force you, lead you to live the life they desire for. Life 
to the Lord. Verse 20 through 21, since you die with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belonging to it, do you submit to its rule? Do not handle, do, do not taste, do not touch. When you try to live by keeping the rules, you know what? You'll find yourself, there's no freedom, there's no joy. This is the another lie. If you obey God, he is going to love you more. This is lie. I was one who liberated from legalism. You know, when I was in college, I learned how to do QT, having a devotional time. I enjoyed it so much. I loved it. You know, like every morning, you know, like six o'clock, I opened the scripture and meditate and try the application and try to apply the truth in my life. I've been doing that, you know, like years. I enjoyed it so much. I think after like three years, like all of a sudden, this became a burden. Later, it became the law. If I didn't do the QT, I feel like I wasn't feeling comfortable. Maybe God's going to like, you know, do some harmful thing in my life. Do you think I had a joy? Not at all. You know, once a week I went to like campus. I, I began to witness people about, you know, good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. I loved it. You know, like, though I had a language barrier, I love to talk to people. Try to share the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. One day it became the law. Oh my goodness, if I don't, I don't think I share this week, you know, like, became a burden. Do you think I had joy? Not at all. See, legalism take away, takes away joy. One day I realized God loves me not because of what I do. God loves me who I am. That thought vibrated my life. That thought actually changed my attitude. Lord, I think I can truly serve you love you. I can truly want to live the life for your glory because, because the love that I experienced from you. Because I love you so much. The love motivates us to do, to live the life that God or God desires of us to live. This passage actually, uh, I began to understand differently. John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them. He is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I will too will love him and show myself to him. I thought if I keep this law and regulation, I think he's going to love me. But no, no, no. Because he loves me. I want to keep his commands. You know, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? The order is, has changed. This passage really came to me differently. I want, I want to say once again, a little bit different angle. Our relationship with God is not based upon what we do, but on who He is. Amen? Amen? Yeah, our relationship with God is not based upon what we do, but on who He is. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not the matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy, in the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Jesus Christ is our peace. Jesus Christ is our joy. Why is, he, why is Jesus our righteousness? Because without him, we cannot be righteous, right? He is our peace. Without him, we can't experience peace. He's our joy. Without him, there's no joy whatsoever, right? 
As I conclude the message today, I want to ask you this very important question. I want you to maybe answer this question, okay? Let me ask you. How does God feel about you today? Ask yourself, how does God feel about me today? Do you have an answer for that? I'm not asking how you feel about God. I'm asking you, how do you think God would feel about you? You got the question, right? I have answered. He is passionately in love with you. That's how he feels about you. He is passionately in love with you. So let me define, uh, redefine what grace is. Grace is Jesus. I want to say that grace is Jesus. Last passage. In the beginning was the world, and the world was with God, and the world was God. The world became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, his glory of one and only who came from Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ, world became a flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ, when you close look at him, you will encounter full of grace and truth. So I want to say Jesus Christ is grace. Going through this pandemic, I mean, this is crazy time, right, that we're going through. We need Jesus. You and I need Jesus. Amen? We need Jesus. We need his grace. So abide in his grace. Abide in his love. And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Help us to live in your amazing grace by trusting you, Lord Jesus, by obeying your command because we love you. Bless each one of us. Bless your children. Bless your worship, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.